Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, everyone, and thank you for listening today. The topic for today is Millennials, Money, Recessions, and Planning Strategies, Looking Ahead. Yes, it is a mouthful, but all very important elements to what I want to talk about. So millennials have had to suffer the double whammy of the global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008, and now the economic repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic. Just in case you live under a rock, let me define what a millennial is. A person is referred to as a millennial if they were born between 1982 and 2000. So that puts them in the age range between 20 and 38 years old. And that's according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Believe it or not, some older millennials are approaching the middle age mark of 40. So as a mother of three millennial daughters, I think millennials often are unfairly maligned. And they are often called selfish, entitled, and not mature adults. But that's really not true in my mind, and they are no longer mainly college kids or recent college grads. They are actual professionals, parents, and they represent a quarter of the U.S. population. So let's talk about what's been and what are the facts of the millennial journey. There is a stereotype of millennials as entitled, disloyal, passionate, self-directed, and seeking an unrealistic work-life balance. You're imagining somebody in yoga pants who uh, wants to have this perfect work-life balance, and that's kind of the image that has been put forward. But clearly, this is an oversimplification of a generational group, as is often the case with any kind of sweeping generalizations about groups of people. In fact, millennials as a generation are more diverse than previous generations, with 44% being part of minority race or ethnic group. According to some research that I discovered by Arthur Levine and Diane Dean, who wrote a book called Generation on a Tightrope, there are six key events that have affected the shaping of the millennial generation. The most important event was the launch of the Internet and the World Wide Web, which changed the way they acquired and processed information compared to previous generations. I'm a baby boomer. So when I was growing up, you know, in high school, we didn't even have an answering machine. So you just called the home phone and left a message and hope my mother gave it to me. Communicating through the internet, learning from the internet, you know, we were still using books and typewriters back then. So very different for millennials. The second most important factor has been the economy, specifically the global financial crisis of 2008 which set the stage for their thinking about their future financial prospects and negatively affected them disproportionately. The third event was the September 11th attacks, which caused fear and anxiety about global uncertainty and future terrorist attacks. The fourth factor was the election of President Obama, as it provided the multi-ethnic millennials with a vision of leadership that was different from the typical leadership dominated by white males. The fifth influential element is the ubiquitous use of cell phones to communicate. Again, you know, everybody grew up on using cell phones, and that's a completely different, and texting, this is a completely different way of communicating that previous generations had not experienced. So this definitely has affected their mindset and and, and how they communicate as well. And then the final key event was the launch of search engines, 
which allowed for the pulling of information in one site for an easy search tool. So again, the computer and the way in which people gather information. Now, adding to these events, we've now got the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic fallout therefrom. And this is also going to have a direct effect on millennial economic progression. So that could become another key factor. So how did the millennials survive the 2008 global financial crisis? Many millennials graduated from college at the height of the Great Recession, which had far-reaching effects on their financial trajectory, including burgeoning levels of student loan debt. In April 2010, the unemployment rate for people 20 to 24 years of age reached 17.2 percent. From 2010 to 2012, the percentage of young adults ages 18 to 24 who were employed was 54 percent. And that was the lowest percentage since the government began collecting data in 1948. And the gap in employment between the young and all other working age adults, roughly 15 percentage points, was the widest in recorded history. For those ages 16 to 24, the unemployment rate surged by nearly 8 percentage points between the fall of 2007 and the fall of 2009, reaching a high of 19%. For other age brackets, unemployment at this time rose slightly over 5%. Further, young adults employed full-time experienced a greater drop in weekly earnings. They were down 6% than any other group over the four-year time span. So clearly, millennials got pummeled by the 2008-2009 financial crisis. They were searching for employment after high school or college graduation immediately in the wake of the financial crisis. And to add to that, they graduated with a mountain of student loans, the size of which their parents never had. So they really have had an upward struggle with the 2008-2009 fallout from the uh, recession. Four years after 2008, among all 18 to 34-year-olds, which would be millennials, 49% stated they took a job they didn't want just to pay the bills with 24% saying they had taken an unpaid job to gain work experience. More than a third, about 35% of them, stated that as a result of their poor economy, they had gone back to school. 31% had postponed either getting married or having a baby. And 24% stated they had moved back in with their parents after living on their own. Millennials also have had to cope with having the slowest earnings recovery since the financial crisis compared to the other generations. And I have some charts in the blog, so if you want to read the blog, you can see the charts that set forth some of this information in graph form. So how are millennials surviving the pandemic? So due to the 2008 recession, millennials have found it more difficult to launch their careers and achieve financial independence. And as a result, they have less wealth than predecessor generations had at the same age. About one quarter of millennial households have more debt than assets. And the upshot is that they aren't as prepared for economic upheaval because they haven't had an environment in which to build up their assets. Hence, they entered the current pandemic in a much weaker financial position. So, unfortunately, millennials have once again been hit harder than older generations during the pandemic and have lost more jobs than other generations. You can see on a chart that I have included in this that millennials far, far exceeded other generations in losing jobs during the pandemic. More than 25% of them have lost their jobs during the pandemic. So that's quite a big number. 
Upsolve, a nonprofit app-based platform that helps people who can't afford the legal fees to file for bankruptcy, stated 40% of the people citing job loss as the reason for a bankruptcy filing said the pandemic was the tipping point, and the average age of the users is 39. All the millennials we help have less than $10,000 in assets, a representative said. For the most part, they're renting their homes and they're living paycheck to paycheck. According to the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank, one in six millennials were unable to cover a $400 emergency expense before the start of the pandemic. Exposure to economic turmoil twice in the early part of your career can have negative long-term effects on people's financial health and long-term prospects. Demographers posit that financial instability has prompted millennials to cohabit instead of getting married and delay childbearing or forgo it altogether. Millennials contributed to the decrease in the marriage rate to its lowest level in 2018, coupled with the all-time lowest level fertility rate the following year. As of 2016, millennials had wealth levels 34% below where they would most likely have been if the financial crisis hadn't occurred. The millennial situation is comparable to the experiences of the GI generation. That's the generation born between 1901 and 1924, who were first hit by the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, then the 1929 stock market crash followed by the Great Depression. That generation regained economic footing later in life with availability of increased educational opportunities and the post-World War II economy. So, and and as I discuss later, you're going to see there are some similarities in the way those two generations, the millennials and the GI generation, um, view investing. They're a bit more conservative because of their experiences. So let's talk about the stats and the strategy and maybe some good news. So here's a bit of good news for millennials. The percentage of young adults with bachelor's degrees or higher has steadily climbed since 1968. And millennials have the greatest percentage of bachelor's degrees by generation. About 40% of them have bachelor's degrees, as compared to 29% for Gen X and 25% for baby boomers. Although millennials have less wealth than baby boomers at the same age, they are keeping pace with Gen Xers. Millennials with a bachelor's degree or more in a full-time job had median annual earnings valued at approximately $56,000 per annum in 2018, which is roughly equal to those of college-educated Gen X workers in 2001, which would be the comparable period. However, for millennials with some college or less, annual earnings were lower than their counterparts in prior generations. Other positive news, according to the Wall Street Journal, is that millennials reached a milestone in July 2019 and made up 38% of home buyers. Older millennials have delayed home buying and they marry later than previous generations in order to build up their resources. With very low interest rates now, millennials are now ready to take the plunge into home ownership. And I did some research on how they're coming up with the deposit money for mortgages and so on and so forth. And many of them, I, I think it was about 25% of them, are getting their down payments from from parents and family. But a lot of them have also marshaled their resources over time by delaying certain personal decisions uh, about taking on more responsibilities so they could save. However, more than 70% of millennials have one source of long-term debt, and 30% have multiple sources of debt. They tend to have greater outstanding student loan debt than the other generations, and the amount they owe is greater. This 
obviously results in fragile money management, and according to the National Endowment for Financial Education, one in four have overdrawn their checking accounts in the past year, and 23% have taken a hardship withdrawal from a retirement account. A recent report by the National Institute on Retirement Security found that 66% of millennials in the workforce have nothing put away for their retirement. Citing high unemployment after the 2008-2009 recession, as well as stagnant wages as the cause of this particular statistic. However, those who do have retirement accounts are more conservative in their strategy, preferring cash as an investment choice. And this leaves little opportunity for long-term growth of that investment if it's sitting in cash. In 2014, UBS found that millennials were the most financially conservative generation since the Great Depression and dedicate 52% of their investment portfolios to cash, compared to 23% cash for other investors. UBS also found that millennials are more likely to believe that working hard, and that would be 69% of them believe that, and living frugally, 45% of them believe that, puts you on a path to success rather than long-term investing. So I want to give you a few tips about what I think millennials should be addressing to be able to get to retirement in some sort of secure fashion. The good news is that millennials believe in hard work and frugal living, but their conservative bent will prevent them from growing assets over time. So here are some tips for millennials to consider for their personal finance strategy. First, let's talk about debt. Investing while you are carrying debt is a challenge and often not recommended. It is, in my opinion, best to eliminate credit card debt before investing. So you've got to eliminate that credit card debt totally because it carries a high interest rates. And with respect to student loans, there's a little bit different analysis. You can refinance at a lower rate and pay them off with an aggressive plan. So if you have no credit card debt and an aggressive student loan payoff strategy, then I believe you can engage in some strategic investing. Second thing to think about is your income. Consider the long-term prospects of career choices and honestly evaluate what your desired lifestyle requires and income generation. It is very important that you enjoy your profession and have balance in life, but it's also important that you have financial security. So you have to be intentional in your choices and strategy. And it may mean for certain segments of your career, you may have to do something that maybe isn't the most favorite thing that you want to do to build up resources so that you can transition later. But you really need to have an honest discussion about income and expenses and what you want your life to look like. Third thing is budgeting. I say this over and over again. I know I sound like a broken record, but budgeting is actually the linchpin for success in your financial life. If you have a good handle on your expenses and you know what your discretionary expenses are, and what is necessary and unnecessary in your spending, then you are going to have control over many, many aspects of your financial growth. So you need to prepare a budget. You need to look at all of your expenses very closely, cut away those things that are absolutely unnecessary or frivolous, and really get serious. And then you need to set up automated savings and investment deposits on a monthly basis. To me, these things are non-negotiable. It is the only way to move ahead. The next thing after you've done that is you have to absolutely make sure you have an emergency fund. Another thing I've said repeatedly because it's so incredibly important. You need to have four to six months of emergency savings to keep you afloat through unexpected life turmoil, like, I don't know, a pandemic maybe. 
So if you had had an emergency fund or you have an emergency fund, you're going to weather this pandemic better than people who were at ground zero and had no money in the bank. The next thing to really consider is retirement funding. Now you're a millennial, so you think you're young, and most people who are young think they're invincible, and 60, 70 seems way off in the future. But to my experience, it comes at you a lot quicker than you might imagine. So if you work and you have a 401k, it is very important that you max out on your contribution, regardless of how young you are. The sooner you do so, the more compounded growth can occur, and the bigger your retirement savings will be for you to access when you are in retirement. Not thinking about retirement savings as early as possible can have long-term deleterious effects on your financial situation in retirement. And when you are ready to retire, it's too late to do anything about it if you haven't prepared. So it's not prudent to just think you're going to rely on Social Security payments to fund your retirement because that's going to provide you with a much lesser lifestyle than you're used to. And then finally, I want to talk about investing. So obviously, millennials are conservative and they have a proclivity to hoard cash and keep big cash balances. Keeping large cash balances as savings as a long-term strategy will not allow you to keep pace with inflation and successfully provide for your retirement needs, and for that matter, some of your ongoing larger cash needs. So the optimal way to build assets is to set up automated deposits to invest monthly. So once you do all the other things I said, you know, you've paid off your credit card debt, you have an aggressive strategy for paying down your student loan, you thought about your income, you've set your budget, you have your emergency fund, and you're maxing out on your 401k, you can start to begin investing. Now, the best way to do that, like I said, is just make it automated. Then every month, a certain amount goes into the investment account. A good way to begin is to start with some diversified index funds. They are a good entry strategy, and they have less, less risk because they are diversified. If you prefer a managed portfolio, then I recommend finding a fiduciary financial advisor to assist you with financial planning and constructing a suitable portfolio. It is risky to create your own portfolio without guidance and a holistic approach, most individuals do not have access to the type of uh, research and information on hand that fiduciary advisors do have on hand so they can make appropriate portfolio decisions. And with respect to financial planning, financial planning is an invaluable tool to give you clarity in your long-term strategy and to help you achieve your goals over your lifetime. So especially if you're a millennial and you're in your 30s, you're approaching 40, this is a great time to really engage in a financial plan with your advisor. It will allow you to make choices about how you're going to buy a house, when you're going to buy a house. You can put all of these things in these different scenarios into financial planning and look at how you might fund them. And you can run cash flows that show you very specifically how it can be accomplished. It's a roadmap and you can keep changing it over time organically as your life changes. But for me, I think that is one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. So if you find yourself a good financial advisor or a financial planner, you must take them up on the financial planning 
uh, service that they have because it's a lifesaver and it will give you so much clarity. With intentional planning, saving, debt eradication, and investing, millennials can overcome the aftermath of the extraordinary economic events that happened during the crucial early years of their professional lives and the effects of the current pandemic. It may not be easy, but it will be worth it because striving for a secure financial future is the key to living in dignity in retirement and not only in retirement, in your current life. It will cut down on your stress levels. So that's it for today. That's my discussion on millennials. I have a soft spot in my heart for millennials. as My three daughters, as I said, are millennials. And I think they've had a rough go of it um, through no fault of their own due to various economic occurrences that, you know, just happened during their timeline. So thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to next time. Please see the show notes for my sources that I use for the various statistics that I've quoted and other factual information that I cited within the podcast. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.